0: all right good morning once again calvary chapel good to see all of you guys so it is valentine's day happy valentine's day to those of you um, who care about that kind of thing and uh (laughs) so today um hearts and stuff right because that's that's like it's valentine's valentiney right i don't know it's proverbs chapter four it's about wisdom it's about it's about the heart, and what I love most about Proverbs chapter 4 um, is that it's, it's a sneak peek. It's a, it's a window into a really, really tender, intimate moment between a father and his son that applies to all of the relationships in our lives. The, the things that we can gain from chapter 4 really can benefit and bless us in all of our relationships whether it's the relationship you have with your valentine your your spouse or your your uh, significant other or whether it's your relationship you have with your children the relationship you have with your coworkers, the relationship that you have with the lord or even the relationship you have with the person who looks at you from the mirror Proverbs chapter 4, we're going to just take this in chunks. It shouldn't be super long today, so you guys will have opportunity to go out there and and, um, um, hunt for discount candy. (laughs) Chapter 4, verse 1. Hear, my children, the instruction of a father, and give attention to no good understanding. For I give you good doctrine, do not forsake my law. When I was my father's son, tender and the only one in the sight of my mother, he also taught me and said to me, Let your heart retain my words, keep my commands, and live. All right, a little bit of context here. Proverbs was written by who? Anyone know? Solomon, right. King Solomon, the great Solomon, wise Solomon, wrote these Proverbs. And so he begins chapter 4 saying, hey, listen up. He's talking to his own children now. Listen up. Listen to the instruction of a father and give attention to understanding. This is good doctrine. Don't forsake this. And he says, when I was my father's son, tender and the only one in the sight of my mother. So this is Solomon now, and he's recalling back the days when he was little and he was uh, listening to his dad. Who is Solomon's father? David, King David. And who is Solomon's mother? Bathsheba. Bathsheba. That's right. You guys win. Bathsheba. David and Bathsheba. Oh, what a romance. What mistakes were made. How difficult that situation. And yet, and yet, now here is Solomon. And he's saying, I remember Something that was taught to me, I want to teach it to you now. I remember when I was young, in fact, I I was the only one in the house at the time. I was the only one. Any firstborns in here? Man, you guys are lucky. Man, you guys, you got your parents' sole attention for the first year, two years, three years, where there was no one else but you. And and poor, you know what? I feel bad for firstborns. Because, man, all the mistakes get taken out on them, right? As parents, I look at that now. Because, see, I, wasn't the, I was the last. I'm the baby of the family, right? So I got that, that uh, single, singular attention from my parents at the end of their parenting rather than at the beginning. So I got the really chill parents. You know what I mean? The ones that were just like, have fun, don't get arrested, you know, <laughs> versus versus like my firstborn where we were just like, oh, don't touch that. Oh, don't go there. Oh, don't, you know, and we were just like super guarded on them. You know, you learn a lot as a parent. (laughs) So here's Solomon. He's like, this was a special tender time in my life where I had mom and dad all to myself before my brothers came along, right? This was special in my life. And I remember, I remember what my dad taught me. I remember what he said. He said, let your heart retain my words. This is huge right here. We're going to take a pause right there. And we're going to talk about this principle for a moment. David, good King David, great King David. David, a man after God's own heart, sits down to talk with his son. And he has a lot to say. I mean, chapters of stuff. He has a lot to say. But before he launches into the lecture... He appeals to his son's heart. And that's important when it comes to communication. And you know it to be so. Because you have had the unpleasant experience of talking to someone who didn't want to listen to you. You you know what it's like. To have that argument, that discussion with someone who is not listening. They don't want to receive anything that you have to say. And no matter how much you talk, no matter how many facts you pour out at them, no matter how right you are, no matter how much you care, if they don't care, then it's, it's, it feels wasted, doesn't it? Isn't that frustrating to try and tell someone and talk to someone Let me ask you this. Did you try reaching them in the heart first? That's so important here. He says, let your heart retain my words. He appeals to the heart of his son before he launches into the do's and don'ts of life. He tries to meet his son on the heart level. And that's so important. You know, it was Teddy Roosevelt who said that um, people don't care what you know until they know that you care, right? And isn't that true? You know, like when you're in a situation in your life where you're going through stuff or you have questions or, or, or you're frustrated and you need advice or you need someone to talk to, what do you want from that person, right? What, do you, what, do you, what are you looking for in that person? Do you want someone who's just going to talk at you or do you want someone who's going to reach you at the heart? And connect with you at the heart level parents this is a great model for us husbands and wives this is a great model for us children this is a great model for us employees and bosses this is a great model for us you want effective communication with someone reach them at the heart first he says and then keep my commands and live now I understand this sounds like um, strict parenting, right? Do what I say or else, right? <laughs> no, he's not really saying it in that way. That's not, that's not how he's, although I've pulled that out of my, few, my kids a few times. You want to live, you better do what I say. No, I've never threatened my kids in seriousness. <laughs> um, but you know what this reminds me of? This reminds me of, of, of John chapter 14, verse 15. Where Jesus says to the disciples, he says, if you love me, keep my commandments. And a little bit, that, that's the new King James, a little bit better rendering of that translation. Um, it's, it says, um, because you love me, you will keep my commandments. And that's so important here because again, we see now, I mean, what what Jesus is talking about, what David is talking about here with his son Solomon, what we're getting to is obedience, right? Keep my commandments. Obey me. But, but what is obedience rooted in? It ought to be rooted in the heart. It ought to be rooted in love, Jesus says. You should keep my commandments because of your love for me. Where we make the mistake, where we have a problem sometimes, is we expect obedience for the sake of conformity, right? We expect obedience in order that someone, that, that child, that we might conform to what is normal or what is standard or what we think ought to be so. We can, we can wrap ourselves up. We can frustrate ourselves and our children and other people in trying to be good Christians rather than encouraging them to love Jesus Christ. And I know that that's something that I struggle with. That's something where I, I'm trying to do this or to not do this in order to be a good person. And then I think to myself, oh my goodness, I've blown it. And you know you've been there. Because if your obedience, if your self-discipline is simply rooted in conforming or in conformity, what what that leads to, that leads to frustration. And at some point, you're just sick of it. You're you're tired of conforming. You're tired of trying to be what people want you to be. You're tired of, of trying to be something that you feel like you're not. And no wonder, because God did create you to be unique. God did create you to have the different talents and gifts that you have. And we as parents, and and, and we would be wise to recognize that in our own kids, they're not going to like the things that we like sometimes. But if we appeal to the heart, if, if, if our obedience, uh, our, our desire for obedience is rooted in love rather than conformity, then even when even when their life doesn't look like my life, I can, can I say... My obedience, that child's obedience, that person's obedience, our obedience to the Lord, it's rooted in love. And so regardless of what's going on here, regardless of what's happening here, what this looks like, do I need to let up on that, lay off on that, have some grace for that because because I'm really just trying to get them to conform? Or do we need to take the opportunity to encourage a love relationship? He appealed first to the heart of his son before he said, keep my commandments. This is is very important for us. Keep my commandments and live. In other words, if you do these things, man, you will have life. You'll experience the abundance and the fullness of life. And then in verse 5, he he begins, he launches into his lecture, and I love this, right from the get-go, he says, Get wisdom, get understanding. Do not forget nor turn away from the words of my mouth. Do not forsake her and she will preserve you. Love her and she will keep you. Wisdom is the practical thing. Therefore, get wisdom. And in all you're getting, get understanding. Exalt her and she will promote you. She will bring you honor when you embrace her. She will place you on or she will place on your head an ornament of grace, a crown of glory. She will deliver to you. David begins to encourage his son. And he says two things right off the get-go. Get wisdom and get understanding. Those are the most important things. He says, I want you to get wisdom and understanding. If you will, follow me to the book of 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. I want to talk about wisdom for a second here, because there's something important that we need to know about wisdom. If we're going to go for it, if that's going to be the, the thing that we really want, if that's, if that's really what we should be looking for, then we need to talk about wisdom, what it is, where it comes from, even what kind of wisdom we should be looking for. Paul writes to the church in Corinth, and the, he writes because, well, they're, they're, they're kind of in a mess, <laughs> Planted this church, great things happened in this church, and this was by all accounts a good church, but they had a problem. The problem was, is they were divided because, well, some in that church said, we think that Paul is the greatest, smartest guy ever, so we're going to do what Paul says. And then others in the church said, well, we think Apollos is, is a rock star preacher, and he's got cool hair, and so we're going to do what Apollos says says. And then some said, no, 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 no. We're going to do what Peter says because Peter was Jesus's number one guy, right? So we want to follow whatever Peter has to say. And then there were others still who said, you guys are all wrong because we're going to do just what Jesus says. And then they drop the mic and walk away, right? Like, and there's just this division now because everyone's trying to out spiritualize each other. Everyone's trying to be smarter than the other. Everyone's trying to be a better Christian than the other based on who they believe they're following. Oh Paul's so frustrated with that in chapter one. He re- I mean he lets into them, says, tells them to knock it off. And then he talks about wisdom. Because ultimately that's what the, that's what is at the heart of this issue, right? Some guys believe this guy more than that guy, and others believe that guy more than this guy. And and it and and what this looks like is this looks like it looks like you're trying when you're trying to shop on Amazon. And you're trying to read all the reviews, right? Because you want to make an informed decision. Because if you're going to spend $19.95, you want to make sure you don't get the second best product that you get the number one product, right? But it can be confusing because then you start to read some of those reviews and you're just like, I think someone in China wrote that. I think someone at the factory who manufactures this wrote that because that doesn't sound right. Like this just sounds weird. And so like reviews can be hard, but isn't that, isn't that strange how we have such a, a, a hunger in our hearts for wisdom? We want to make the wisest choice, right? And so now you can rate anything in the world. I'm like, you can rate, you can, there are, there, there, you can give how many, how many stars to, a, to our church? You can go on Facebook and write a whole review about our church. Really? You want to judge the church? <laughs> don't do that. <laughs> I mean, I don't know. I suppose you can get on there and, and say maybe you had a bad time, or I don't know, but be careful. <laughs> um, it's just this thing inside of us. We want wisdom, we want to know we're making the best decision. It's, it's born inside of God, designed that inside of us this hunger for wisdom. And so Paul says, appealing to that, he says, where is the wise? Verse 20 of chapter 1, 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? So immediately he he appeals to us and he says, what kind of wisdom are you looking for? Who are you going to for wisdom? He says, who is the wise person or where is the scribe or or the professor are you listening to? Or where is the disputer or the, the, the debater, right? The, the one putting out all the, all the greatest YouTube videos right now, right? Who are you listening to for wisdom, he says. Hasn't God made foolish the wisdom of this world? Haven't you seen now in your relationship with Jesus and spending time in the word of God that the world's wisdom is foolish? It's folly. He says, For since in the wisdom of God, the world through wisdom did not know God, it pleased God through foolishness, through the foolishness of the message preached, to save those who believe. For Jews request a sign, and Greeks seek after wisdom. He says, listen, think about it. Think about, think about the problem, the situation at hand. And he, he recalls the two groups, the Jews and then the Greeks, or the Gentiles, right? And how did those two approach God? Well, the Jews, you see, they, they approached God. Their relationship with God, their experience with God was one based largely in part on miracles, signs, wonders. Right? Ever since they were uh, slaves in Egypt and 10 plagues rocked Egypt. And then they were, and, and then the Passover where the death angel took the firstborn but spared their children and they were able to flee and they hit the the Red Sea and then they saw the waters pile up as they crossed through on dry land. And then as they wandered in the wilderness, right, they experienced the blessing of, of water from the rock and manna every morning. And as unfortunately some of you heard last week, quail, so much that it, a lot of quail. They experience all of these blessings, right? And so to them, if they were going to believe something about God, they wanted to see a sign to go with it. And so when Jesus walked the earth and he he walked through Israel and he ministered and he taught, he worked miracles absolutely, but they wanted something bigger. And one day Jesus, he's crossing the Sea of Galilee and he steps out onto the shore and immediately the Jews rush up on him and they say, show us a sign. And Jesus says, a wicked and perverse generation seeks a sign. And then he gets back in the boat and he leaves. Jesus is saying, look, I'm not here for your entertainment. This is not a circus. I'm not trying to wow you. Your faith shouldn't be built on that. Paul says the Jews requested a sign, but the Greeks they seek after wisdom. The Gentiles, the Greeks especially, oh, they had a whole different, uh, they had a whole different ideology about themselves. Boy, they loved whatever was trending. They loved whatever kind of, of cultural ideas were hot at the time. They were all about the New York Times bestseller list. Doesn't matter if it contradicts what the bestseller was last week. They are all about what is the latest, greatest wisdom or ideas or ideologies flooding their, their, their culture at the time. And they are just riding the wave of being woke, right? Like that is just, that is their culture, Wisdom is constantly changing in their ideas. The Jews are looking for signs. The Greeks are, they're out there just looking for worldly wisdom. And he says in verse 23, but we preach Christ crucified to the Jews a stumbling block and to the Greeks foolishness. This is huge, guys. I cannot stress how big this is. Those two words put together. Christ crucified. What is Christ? What is that word? It's Messiah. What does that mean? It means that God would come and live among us. It's Emmanuel. It's God with us. It's God come down, leaving heaven to come and dwell on earth amongst his people in his creation. God who speaks to create He spoke the universe into existence. God, who, the Bible says, holds all things together in his hands. Christ. And then the word crucified, executed on a cross, a method of execution reserved for the lowest, the worst the most despicable. Not just the liars, not just the thieves, but the robbers, the murderers, the rapists. Christ crucified. That's what we preach. And it stumbles the Jews. They can't get over it. The Jews look at that idea. What do you mean, Christ, our Christ, our Messiah? Why would he allow himself to be crucified, to be killed in such a despicable manner? And they stumble over it. It says they can't get over that. And the Greeks, they think it's just foolishness. Like, are you kidding? That's the most ridiculous thing I've ever heard. What a stupid thing that God would allow himself to die! It doesn't make sense. We preach Christ crucified to the Jews a stumbling block, to the Greeks foolishness, but to those who are called both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God because the foolishness of God is wiser than men and the weakness of God is stronger than men. Paul says Christ crucified, the gospel. He says this is, this is the power of God on display. And this is the wisdom of God. It's the wisdom of God. So, Christian, what kind of wisdom should we be looking for in life? What kind of wisdom should we be trying to apply to our lives? We ought to be applying gospel wisdom to our lives. When you hear advice, when you read something, when you see something, when you consider something, ask yourself, does this fit with the gospel? The gospel that reminds me that I am a sinner and I am in need of a savior and that we are all equal at the foot of the cross, equally sinful, equally needing to be rescued and yet equally forgiven. By a gracious and loving and merciful God. If your wisdom, if the advice you're getting, if the books you're reading, if, what you're, if the, the, the videos you're watching, if, if what you're looking for, if it does not match up with the gospel, that's worldly wisdom. That's worldly wisdom. It lacks the power of God. But wisdom that is from God, it's the power of God. It's it's based in the gospel. So as we consider, going back to Proverbs chapter 4, as we consider what is wisdom, we have to remember the wisdom that we should be looking for, because there's a lot of wisdom out there. The wisdom that we should be looking for should be gospel wisdom. Wisdom that we can take through the gospel of Christ and say, does this agree? And so he says in verse five of, of Proverbs chapter four, get wisdom, get understanding, don't forget or turn away from the words of my mouth. And then he says, don't forsake her. Now, I want to stop there. And I love this idea here because David knows his son, man, he knows his son. And so when he speaks to him about wisdom and understanding, he um, he uses words, he puts it in such a way that his son will understand it best, right? If you're going to effectively communicate to someone, you have to use terms that they're going to understand, right? Well, what he does is he, he personifies wisdom and understanding to a woman, into a woman. He knows his son Solomon will get that. He'll understand that. Solomon's young, but somehow David has already observed Solomon wants women. And we know Solomon's ultimate struggle would be with women. But David's seeing something about his son. David perhaps perhaps even knowing something about his own heart. I remember the sin of, of he and Bathsheba. And so he appeals to his son in a way that will get his son's attention. And he says, wisdom, don't you forsake her. Don't cheat on her, he says. And she will preserve you. Don't you run around on her. You stay faithful to wisdom and she, she will stay faithful to you. She will preserve you. If you love her, she will keep you. These are words that Solomon would, would, would understand and he would begin to think and consider. He obviously held on to them as if, as an adult. Now he's writing these things down because his dad explained it to it in a way that he would get it. Wisdom is the principal thing. Therefore, get wisdom. And in all you're getting, get understanding. That sounds like a funny phrase. In all you're getting, get this, right? Well, think of it from David's perspective. David David fought for his kingdom. David suffered for his kingdom. David worked For his kingdom David fought many battles for his kingdom David used had to use great faith in order to defend and fight for and build his kingdom and now he realizes Solomon is just going to get the kingdom Solomon's gonna be king and he didn't fight for this kingdom he didn't bleed for this kingdom he didn't march into battle for this kingdom He didn't face down Goliath for this kingdom. He didn't run off into the wilderness, trying to save his life for this kingdom. He's just going to get it. It's just going to be given to him. He's going to get the castle and he's going to get the city and he's going to get the nation and he's going to get the armies and he's going to get the fame and he's going to get. He knows he's going to get. And so he says in all you're getting While you're getting all that stuff, he says, get get understanding. Get understanding. This is the second side. This is the other side of the coin of wisdom. You see, wisdom is is so important. But unless you understand the person or the situation you're you're trying to apply that wisdom to, you're going to have a hard time with it. Remember, this understanding, this plays back into that idea of connecting with someone at the heart. Right? You've been in that position before where, <laughs> like I was saying, you've, you've tried to explain to someone and you had all the right points. But if you've been in that position, remember, what did you want? You wanted someone to understand you. You wanted someone to listen to you. And even if everything they said was spot on and it was exactly what you need to do, there's still this moment where you feel like, man, I just got lectured. I didn't get listened to. Get understanding. Try to understand the situation that person is going through. It's empathy, guys. It's the ability to put yourself in someone else's shoes and take action on that. Why are they saying the things that they're saying? Why have they done the things that they have done? What what is causing this in their lives? You can ask this of the person in the mirror also. As you apply wisdom to your own life, why am I struggling with this? What's the root of what's going on here? I need to understand myself a little bit better here. God help me with that. Interesting, because he says that understanding... uh, Exalt her and she will promote you. She will bring you honor when you embrace her and she will place on your head an ornament of grace, a crown of glory she will deliver to you. God has so much help for you. So much help for you. If you're willing to, under, to, if you're willing to receive it, to be willing to receive it, you must be seeking understanding, right? Because if you, if you think you've got it all figured out already, Then you don't need grace right you don't need god's help i know what's wrong with that person and then you just spout off your your wisdom even if it's right but if you seek to understand that person god has so much grace for you god help me know what that person's going through god help me to understand what's motivating that person god help me to understand what why i struggle with this myself lord This is supposed to be a beautiful um, interaction between you and the Lord as you seek understanding and he gives you the grace to do that. And then with that understanding, now you know how to apply wisdom properly. Now you know how to make that heart connection with that person. And now you know how to say things in such a way that they will remember them and pass on to others. This, This is a huge, this is so important. In verse 10, he says, Hear, my son, and receive my sayings, and the years of your life will be many. I have taught you in the way of wisdom. I have led you in the right paths. When you walk, your steps will not be hindered. And when you run, you will not stumble. Take firm hold of instruction. Do not let go. Keep her, for she is your life. Do not enter the path of the wicked and do not walk in the way of evil. Avoid it. Do not travel on it. Turn away from it and pass on. For they do not sleep unless they've done evil and their sleep is taken away unless they make someone fall. For they eat the bread of wickedness and drink the wine of violence. But the path of the just is just like the shining sun that shines ever brighter unto the perfect day. The way of the wicked is like darkness. They do not know what makes them stumble. David appeals to his son now. Having having met him at the heart level, And having encouraged him to get wisdom and be an understanding person, he says, now, I've given you that. Please hold on to that. Please hold on to that instruction. Hold on to that wisdom. Keep it in front of you. Consider it always. And and then when you walk, your steps will not be hindered. And when you run, you will not stumble. There is a lot of opportunity for you to stumble out there in the parking lot right now. no one likes to do that right no one likes to do that it hurts to fall it does it hurts to fall it's also embarrassing too it hurts your ego and and your backside right it hurts to fall and so he says he says take hold of instruction take a firm hold of instruction now he doesn't mean you know like clench your Bible so hard that your fingernails dig into your, your covers on it, no? Hold on to the Word of God in your heart. The Bible says, I will hide your Word in my heart that I might not sin against you, that I might not sin against God. Right? Take hold of that instruction. Take, keep it. Consider it. He says you'll be healthy for it. Now one thing I want you to consider in this moment as as David takes this this these nine verses or so to really encourage his son one thing that might be important for us to remember is that Solomon was not David and Bathsheba's first child do you remember what happened to David and Bathsheba's first child right he died their first child their child that was conceived from adultery their child their first child passed away they lost their first Solomon was their second what happened in the process of going through that crushing loss that made them to be more intentional as parents do you think what made them value? Don't you think that made them value every moment they had with their son Solomon? Don't you think that, that caused them to think a little harder? Pray a little longer? Read a little deeper into the things of God for wisdom? And so it, it seems almost like David is kind of helicoptering, hovering over Solomon here. Don't go that way. Don't go that way. Don't go that way. It's love. It's love that is asking for obedience. It's not just conformity. Right? It's not just David saying, hey, don't do the bad thing because I don't want to deal with you know, disciplining you. He's saying, no, no. I love you, son. I've given you, I've met you at the heart level. I'm explaining to you wisdom and understanding. I want you to get these things. I want you to understand them. And I want you to hold on to them. And you're going to be distracted. You're going to be distracted. You're going to be tempted. You're you're going to see, oh man, all your friends are going to go down that road. And it's going to seem like fun. It's going to seem like a blast. And, And you don't want to be like, you don't want to be not cool, right? So you're just going to like maybe go over that side of the street. And kind of like just hang out. And maybe you won't exactly go down that road, but, but I can at least, I can go on the sidewalk of that road, you know? Because I don't want to be like, I don't want to be weird. I don't want them to not think I'm cool or whatever. He says, don't, don't even. Don't even go that way. It's interesting. He says, he says, don't travel on it. Turn away from it. Pass by it. Remember verses 16 and 17. He says, they don't sleep unless they've done evil. And their sleep is taken away unless they make someone else fall. Have you noticed that someone who is is a slave to sin is always trying to drag someone else down with them? Have you noticed that? Do you remember that? Were you that person? I've, I've been that person at times. I've been on both ends of that. Or I've been drugged down and I was the one doing the dragging. Someone who is a slave to sin is constantly trying to pull someone into sin with them. Why? Because sin is lonely sin is lonely. You think you'll be satisfied. You think that sin will fulfill you. It'll make you so happy. It'll be so fun and so cool. But the truth of the matter is, sin is lonely. And so you always want someone down there with you. He says, they're going to try and drag you down. They don't sleep until they make someone else fall. They eat the bread of wickedness and drink the wine of violence. Do you know someone who is not happy unless they are unhappy? You know someone like that in your life? Maybe you've been someone like that in your life. Like you just can't function unless you have something to gripe and complain about. Why? Why? What causes that in a person? Well, it's probably what they're eating. They eat the bread of wickedness and they drink the wine of violence. The only thing they're putting into themselves is more hate, is more anger, is more bitterness. You need to stop. He says that's what they, they consume all that stuff. They just That's all that they listen to. That's all that they watch. That's all that they talk about. And no wonder that that's the hallmark of their life. He says... They eat the bread of wickedness. They drink the wine of violence. But the path of the just is like the shining sun and it shines ever brighter unto the perfect day. You know, that's the, the picture there is that your path will get brighter and clearer the further that you go. The more that you apply this wisdom, the more that you seek understanding, the more that you are, are asking for God's grace in your life, the more that you're trying to reach people on the heart level, the more that you're avoiding those sins and and out of obedience, not conformity, that's not where Christians go, but out of love, your love for your Savior. Jesus, I don't want to go that direction because it takes me away from you, right? Out of love, I'm going to follow you. And the further we follow down that path, the brighter our path gets and the more clear our steps become. He says, but the evil... The wicked, their way is darkness and they stumble and they don't even know what makes them stumble. And you know people like that. You've seen people like that. You've been someone like that perhaps. And it's hard to watch. It's hard to watch a Christian stumble. It's hard to watch a Christian struggle. It's hard to be a Christian stumbling and struggling. But we have, we have help from our Heavenly Father. But it is oh so difficult to watch the non-believer struggle and, and stumble and yet refuse the help of God. Don't you know what you need is Jesus? And that's the one thing you're, re, you're, you're rejecting. That's really, that's so hard. And so then they live their lives. They don't know why all, bad things always happen. Why their life is such a struggle. Why it's always so hard. Why it's always, you, you, receive the Lord, man. You need the gospel you need the grace of God in your life but he says the way of the wicked is darkness and they don't even know what makes them stumble he says so give attention to my words verse 20 give attention to my words incline your ear to my sayings do not let them depart from your eyes keep them in the midst of your heart oh hiding that word in our heart right verse 22 for they are life to those who find them and health to all their flesh. Can I speak very practically for a moment? People who pray and read their bibles regularly are healthier people. I don't mean you're going to lose 10 pounds in 10 minutes or 10 verses, okay? Like that's not what I'm talking about. Your spiritual and emotional health is better when you spend time in God's word and when you spend time in prayer, science agrees with this, but they don't understand it. People who meditate are healthier. We don't know why. I'll tell you why. We know why. We've known why for thousands of years right here. It says right here, you spend time keeping these this instruction in the midst of your heart and you you'll find that it brings you life and it brings you health. It might help you with the weight gain. I don't know. Um, self-control is a fruit of the Holy Spirit, right? So, you know, I suppose the next time, you know, I'm tempted to go through the drive-thru, I can just cry out to the Holy Spirit, Lord, help me. Save me from that evil drive-thru and their delicious fries. But there's, there's, so, much, there's so much more health to our wellness, our whole, our wholeness, our, our, our emotional health, our spiritual health, psychological health. When we spend time in the word of God and when we spend time in prayer and then verse 23, he says, keep your heart with all diligence for out of it spring, the issues of life. And I love this verse right here. I'm going to camp on it for just a moment because it's Valentine's day, right? It's a special day where we, you know, we we give gifts and everything, and, and there's red stuff everywhere. You go into the grocery store, and it hits you in the face, literally, you know. There's balloons everywhere. You can't even see around what's going on up there, and the flowers just overwhelm. Everyone's having an allergic reaction just walking through the floral department, you know, and there's just red. There's candy everywhere, and everything's red, and it's just... And, 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 we, and we give these gifts, we give these little heart-shaped boxes or these, you know, heart-shaped cookies or whatever it is, and it's like, this is my heart, I'm giving my heart to you. Oh, how precious, thank you, cheap chocolates, right? It's just, it's like, that's the, that's the thing these days. Is it, and that's, there's, there's this whole, it's this big marketing campaign, you know, about all this, all these people who want to give their hearts to someone. The Bible says, keep your heart. Don't give it away. Keep your heart. What? Yeah, keep your heart and keep it diligently. In other words, you watch it, you take care of it, you hold it. You cradle that thing like it's a like like it's a football and you're headed for the end zone and there a whole team is after you. You do not want to drop that thing. You do not want to let that thing go. Let that thing get stripped or taken away from you. You hold on to that thing. You keep your heart with all diligence. Why? Because out of your heart springs the issues of life. Your life. The issues of your life, they come from your heart. And if you take your heart and you just give it to someone else, you give it over to someone else, you know what that's called? Idolatry. When you give your all, your everything, your being, you give your heart to someone or something else because you think that the issues of life will be found in worshiping or in loving that person or that thing. It always leads to destruction. It always leads to destruction. So is it bad to celebrate Valentine's Day? You know, should I take back the chocolates or whatever? No, 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 no. By all means, share your heart. Share your heart. Husbands, share your heart with your wives. Wives, share your heart with your husband. Parents, share your hearts with your children. Children, for once, just share your heart with your parents. Just talk to them open up to them about what's going on inside share your heart with people you love absolutely remember that's the only way you can connect with someone is at the heart level right share your heart totally but you keep your heart who lives in your heart yeah your Savior lives in your heart. You keep your heart and you keep it diligently. Share it absolutely, but share it like my 12-year-old shares a video game controller, right? And be careful with that. Don't throw that. No, right? He's always got his eyes on that thing, right? Keep your heart with all diligence. Don't, give your, don't go giving your heart flippantly to this thing or that thing. I mean, there's so, and I'm not just, I'm not even talking people. You know, you can give your heart over to a sports team. You can give your heart over to a a job. You can give your heart over to, um, you know, again, a person, whatever it is. But when you do that, that becomes idolatry. No, you keep, keep your heart. In verse 24, as we keep our hearts, as we're holding on to them, watching them diligently, verse 24 says, put away from you a deceitful mouth. And put perverse lips far from you. Ooh, how do we guard our hearts? How do we keep our hearts carefully? Well, first of all, we gotta get rid of the lies. First of all, we have to get rid of the lies. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Wait a minute. Uh, who's the liar? Me? <laughs> you? Us. It's us. You see, we can't put them away unless we have them first, right? gospel wisdom right here. Everyone's a sinner. All have fallen short of the glory of God. Our, our tendency to want to say things, to want to tell little lies, our tendency to want to put things in such a way as to make people believe things in a certain way, to manipulate. He says, put it away. Box it up. And go put it away. Put it away in the furthest, most inconvenient place for you. Right? In the, in the back of the shed, outside. Wait, So that when you think, oh, maybe I should go open that up. You think, no, that's a hassle. You know? Put away a deceitful mouth and perverse lips from you. Don't go there. As you're guarding your heart, do it with truth. Do it with truth. Verse 25, and let your eyes look straight ahead and your eyelids look right before you. Ponder the path of your feet and let all your ways be established. Do not turn to the right or to the left. He's saying, focus on your own walk. Focus on your own path. I love that verse 26. He says, ponder the path of your feet. I love that word. When I think of ponder, I think of Winnie the Pooh sitting on the log. You know, think, 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 right? I love that picture for some reason, because I realize I have to do that sometimes when I, when I consider what I'm doing, where I'm going, what I'm saying, I have to consider my own path. Think, think, think. And I'm going to use gospel wisdom in that. God, is this decision, is this decision in line with your gospel in line with your wisdom? Or is this, is this a decision that's in line with, with my flesh? Is this something I'm doing because I really want it, because it satisfies me in some way, shape, or form? Or is this gospel wisdom? Is this, is this, is this a, a step in your path, or is this a step in my path, God? Let your eyes look straight ahead. Ponder the path of your feet. Do not turn to the right or to the left. Jesus tells us in Matthew chapter 6, he says, wide is, or excuse me, Matthew chapter 7, he says, wide is the is the way to destruction. Right? But narrow is the path to righteousness, is the path to eternal life. It's a narrow path. It's a straight path. It's not winding. It's not, it's not you know, zigging and zagging. It's a path. Considering every step you take, considering every word you say, putting lies and deceitfulness away from you, keeping, holding on to your heart with all diligence, taking the Word of God inside of you, holding it, hiding it in your heart, considering it, praying for it, using uh, gospel wisdom and understanding, meeting people at the heart. Can you, you can apply this to, you, you can take these principles, apply it to use with your Valentine, sure. Apply it to use in your, in your marriage, in, in your uh, relationship with your kids or with your parents. Apply these principles to, your, to the life, the, the relationships you have with your employers, with those you come across, obviously with your brothers and sisters in Christ. We have a lot to gain. We have a lot to gain when we consider these words, when we consider how these words can affect us as well. So that's all I've got for you this morning. Let's go ahead and pray. Father, thank you so much for for your great wisdom, Lord, that you shared with us this morning through your word, Lord. Help us, Lord, to hide it in our hearts. Help us, Lord, to remember these things. Help us to ponder, to think about these things, Lord. Thank you so much for The incredible things, the incredible way, Lord, that you worked life out for David and Bathsheba and Solomon, Lord. In spite of their great sins, Lord, in spite of their imperfections, Lord. You still worked. You still moved. You gave great grace, forgiveness, and mercy, Lord. And they didn't even know, Lord, that one day we would be considering their own words, their own, their own lives, and how they apply to ours. So thank you, God. One day, Lord, that our lives would be worthy of application to someone else's because our lives represent the truth of your gospel. So now, Lord, as we consider communion, Lord, I pray that while we transition into this time of worship, Lord, that, that you would begin to work in our hearts, Lord, solidifying the things that we've heard today, challenging us, Lord, in the way that we relate and communicate with others, Father. Thank you so much. In Jesus' name, amen.